Welcome, everyone, to Early Learning Ventures Family Engagement Fridays. Our guest today is Tammy Miller, who is a teacher of students with visual impairments, and she's the director of children's programs and services at Anchor Center for Blind Children in Denver. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you. Happy to be here. We are so excited to have you here today because there's so many questions about children's vision in their early years. So we're going to start out with the first question is, why is vision so important? Well, our vision gives us information about the world around us. And so if a child um, has good vision, typical vision, um, they learn about 90% of everything that they learn through their visual pathways. And so when you also frame that with the knowledge that about 85% of what a child learns in their whole lifetime is learned in the first five years. That really puts it into perspective. So if a child is um, has a visual impairment that is um, severe enough or even not super severe, it can impact their development. It can impact their education. It can impact just all of that general learning about the world and just put them a little bit behind. Um, so vision is incredibly important. Wow, that's really putting it into perspective. So how are vision problems detected? So vision screenings usually take place at a child's well-child checkup um, with their pediatrician. Um, some pediatricians do a really thorough screening and some pediatricians' offices just do kind of a basic one. Um, and uh, a screening is really just like an evaluation that's just used to identify a child that may have a visual impairment. Um, it kind of picks up on a few little red flags, um, but a vision screening is just kind of a basic step um, in, in finding a vision problem. Um, compared to a comprehensive eye exam, which is a thorough eye exam done by an eye doctor, so either an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. Um, and those doctors can diagnose any medical or vision conditions and can provide treatment. And so um, vision screenings do occur um, for, for children. Um, and sometimes um, as kids get older and they're in public schools, vision screenings also happen in public schools. Um, about once a year, they have a vision and hearing screening. Um, but sometimes those are not um, enough. And so it would be wonderful if we had more um, early childhood caregivers and teachers um, and also parents who are more aware of what to watch for and when to know when it might be time to take their child in to get their eyes checked. Oh, that, that's interesting. So what are some common vision problems in children? So the most common vision problem in children um, are refractive errors. Um, so those occur when light doesn't correctly focus on the retina, um, which is the tissue at the back of the eye. And this can cause blurry vision um, either up close, which is called hyperopia or farsighted farsightedness, meaning that that um, person can see better far away than up close, up close is blurry, or 
Um, they can have blurry vision far away, which means that they have myopia or nearsightedness, which means that, that things up close are, are more clear and far away is blurry. Um, so most refractive errors can be corrected by glasses or contact lenses. And so, um, you know, anybody that wears contacts or glasses, they have a refractive error. Um, so most of these can be um, corrected unless they are um, very severe refractive errors, then sometimes glasses are, are not enough and cannot correct all the way. Um, so, but when a child has a refractive error, that can really impact their uh, reading and um, things like that. And, and just also just that incidental learning that happens with them just watching the world around them. If, if things far away are really blurry for them, they might not learn as much about things that are happening that aren't right in front of them. Um, so, so it definitely has an, has an impact. Um, another common vision problem in children is strabismus. Um, sometimes it looks like a crossed eye um, or eyes or a lazy eye, and this can affect either one or both of the eyes. And so strabismus is actually an eye condition that is a muscle problem. And what's happening is it doesn't allow the eyes to work together, and it doesn't allow the eyes to focus at the same time. And so um, these types of eye muscle issues can often be corrected by patching. So oftentimes a doctor will prescribe um, patching um, the stronger eye for a certain amount of hours in a day. Um, and then what that does is it forces the muscles of the weaker eye to get stronger by forcing it to be used. Um, or um, strabismus can sometimes also be corrected by um, having a child wear gl glasses with a certain prescription. And those in some ways do the same thing um, that the um, patch will do is it helps strengthen the, the one eye, assuming it's just one eye that is uh, that isn't um, doesn't have strong muscles. Um, but then also um, some cases surgery is required and it's actually a really simple surgery. It sounds really scary. Um, but when, when a child um, has a, an eye muscle correction surgery, um, it's really, they do pretty well. Um, most, most little kiddos, and these are usually done um, in the toddler years. Um, and the, the kiddos usually do well just being on Tylenol for about 24 hours. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a real surgery. They're put um, under using anesthesia and an eye surgeon is the one that, you know, is going in and either, either um, cutting muscles or, you know, lengthening muscles or shortening muscles in certain um, sides of the eyes to, to just help the eye line up with the other eye. Um, it sounds really scary, but it really isn't. And it's not, um, it's not, it doesn't have a high risk. And so um, we're constantly talking to parents about this and helping um, them feel more comfortable with this type of surgery is very, very common surgery um, for children to have. And it's usually somewhat successful, not always 100% successful, but um, every once in a while, a child will need a second surgery. Um, one just isn't quite enough. And, and, and a year or so later, they might have a second surgery. And usually that is a lot more um, successful in correcting the, the strabismus. Um, but that is that is kind of worst case scenario is those uh, that surgery and it really is is not that that bad on the on the kiddos so that's good. Um, so another vision problem is amblyopia, and this can occur when a strabismus is not corrected. And so what happens is the brain focuses more on only one eye, um, and 
And then it can begin to ignore the weaker eye and vision in that eye can get worse and can even result in blindness in that eye. And so it's a really interesting thing that that happens. Um, and so that's why if you um, see a child that has um, their eyes just are not lined up. And, and I, I forgot to mention that a strabismus, it can be eyes turning inward or turning outward or one um, laying a little bit higher than the other. Um, so it looks like one is looking up a little bit more than the other one looking down. So it's just any um, eye muscle alignment problem where the two eyes are not looking at the same thing at the same time. And they, they can usually be seen by us looking at them. Um, so anyway, so that's why it's really important to find and correct the strabismus problems because they can lead to amblyopia. Um, and then another uh, common vision problem in children is convergence issues. So sometimes the eyes just don't work correctly together. Um, and, and this happens when they're looking at objects close up. So um, when we bring an object close to our nose, our eyes will cross. Um, some children have problems doing that and their eyes won't cross. And sometimes maybe only one eye will follow that object as it gets closer to their nose. Um, but sometimes they just aren't able to see see that object using both eyes together as it comes closer. And so there, um, this can cause blurry vision or sometimes it can cause um, double vision. And double vision um, is a pretty tricky one to find um, because sometimes the eyes look like they're aligned, but they might not be working well together. And just imagine how double vision. So that is where you might be seeing two images and they can be overlapped um, enough to just make everything just look, you know, a little bit askew. Um, so imagine what that the education implications, right, as a child is learning how to read or being expected to even color, you know, in early childhood programs and, you know, things like that, like they're, that's going to be very difficult. Um, so there are also um, pretty simple surgeries that can be done to help correct a lot of convergence issues. Or sometimes um, there can be some exercises that, that um, kids with convergence issues might be prescribed. It's almost like a little bit like physical therapy where they can exercise their eyes a little bit and sometimes correct that. Um, and then finally, um, uh, another common vision problem in children, and this is kind of a, a newer um, one in the field of ophthalmology to be recognized um, is a cortical or cerebral or brain-based visual impairment. This is often called a CVI um, for cortical or cerebral visual impairment. And that's when the eyes themselves may be healthy and may work just fine, but there's a problem in the brain along the visual pathways making the brain unable to interpret what the eyes are seeing. Um, and so this is, it's really complex and there are no, no two um, people that have the same type of vision when this is what's occurring. Um, so this can be caused by a genetic disorder where the brain might have some malformations or just was not formed properly. Um, it can happen when damage to the brain has occurred, and that can happen um, from a traumatic birth. So a lack of oxygen at birth, you know, like maybe um, maybe the baby is, you know, in the canal for too long and has um, lack of oxygen. Maybe the, the tube is tied around the neck. Um, maybe the baby had a stroke in utero or soon after birth or during birth, and that can cause a lack of oxygen to the brain and can cause brain damage. And then also, sadly, as a cortical or cerebral 
visual impairment can also be caused by a traumatic brain injury. So this is what we see um, in babies who are victims of shaken baby syndrome and other um, child abuse situations. Um, and then also even something like a car accident can cause brain damage. Um, other things are um, seizures can cause enough brain damage. So any of these things that can cause damage to the brain, if that damage occurs along the visual pathway, which is between your eyes and the back of your brain, which is where the cerebral cortex is, then of course the brain is going to have a hard time understanding what the eyes are seeing. And that is now looked at as a form of blindness, a cortical visual impairment. Um, and so that is something that um, many, many kids um, are now being diagnosed with where 20, 30 years ago, this was not recognized as a visual impairment. So that's a, a newer area that um, is a little bit difficult, but is also um, good that it's finally being recognized um, as a visual impairment. And these kids are able to, to receive the, the services that they need and the interventions that they need for this type. So that's that's a lot of information. And certainly when we're talking about younger children and then that are maybe nonverbal and then older children that can maybe sort of describe what's going on. What can we as parents watch for? So any adults in a child's life can watch for for different things. So um, squinting, if you're seeing a child squinting when they're looking either at something up close or especially far away, sometimes squinting the eyes um, helps um, with those refractive errors. Um, um, if you see a child rubbing their eyes or having trouble concentrating. Now keep in mind, this can also look like an attention problem and can also look like symptoms of ADHD. Um, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's because they aren't interested in looking at the book or the worksheet or whatever you're asking them to look at because they can't see it well. Why are, why would they want to look at, look at that? That's not fun for them. Um, if you see a child complaining of headaches or eye aches um, after looking at books or doing um, up-close work, um, these are all signs that a child's eyes need to be checked um, because eye fatigue and eye strain can cause all of these symptoms. So when, you know, if if you as an adult wear glasses, just picture how that feels to try to use your vision when you don't have your glasses on. And you can kind of feel like sometimes people have actual like an ache or pain behind their eyes because they're straining their eyes. So those are we're just looking for those types of things um, to see if um, if it is a vision issue. It might not be, but th these are times that it would be really good to 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 get something checked out. Great. So how should children with severe impairments be supported in school? So this is a little bit of a complicated question. So I'm going to give uh, just a little bit of a broad answer here, and then we'll try to narrow it down a little bit more. So if a child has a visual impairment that is not correctable, either by glasses or surgery or, or you know, medications or any type of treatment, um, and has a great enough degree or, okay, or has a great enough degree of field loss, meaning that they might not be able to see on the left side or the right side or their upper field or their lower field um, fully, um, or if they have a diagnosis of a cortical visual impairment or CVI, they may qualify for vision services 
um, in the school system. So this is through the IDEA Act at the federal level, which falls in the special education realm. Um, so every child in the USA who has a disability is entitled to an education and public school districts are who provide this education by creating along with the parents what's called an IEP, which stands for an Individualized Education Program which is a, a personalized and unique um, legal document that indicates what additional supports that child may need in order to access the curriculum. So this is where a teacher of the visually impaired or TVI um, like me comes into the picture. Um, but to explain that, I'm, we're going to take a step back a little bit farther and let's talk about, um, let's talk about, uh, an infant. Um, so starting at birth. So if a child is diagnosed with a qualifying vision diagnosis, meaning it can't be corrected, right? Um, when they are age um, from birth to age three, then um, they will qualify for early intervention services through their state. Um, and so if that is the case and a child has a visual impairment, then a TVI like me um, can be assigned as part of their early intervention team and will provide early intervention vision services in their home. Um, when a child turns three, they are um, that's when the early intervention services end on their third birthday. Um, but at that point, they can be evaluated by a school district to find out if they are eligible for an IEP or special education. And if so, then they are able to start preschool in a school district preschool on the day after their third birthday. Um, and this is free of charge. And so, um, and that will also provide them with the supports that they need to be able to be a student in that, in that school. Um, and so um, often, there are also needs that a child has if they have a visual impairment, then sometimes they also need um, um, supports from speech and language pathologists to help with either speech or communication needs. Um, they may have physical therapists or occupational therapists working on the team along with a TBI um, providing services to a child. Um, so it's also just an important thing to know that TVIs are not therapists, but we're instead teachers, we're specialized special education teachers um, who provide educational supports, but we work um, on that educational team and provide services in the same way that those therapists might also be part of. Um, so if a family decides not to enroll their child who has disabilities into a public um, district preschool and chooses a private preschool program at ages three and four, um, that's their option and that is that is fine, but they need to understand that they're waiving their child's rights to that federal money and those provided supports. Um, so that's just really important that families know that. Often families don't know that until after their kids go to kindergarten and they find out they could have been having some of those um, needs met in a preschool program. But also having said that, some of these needs can be met in a private school without um, you know, it being on the federal level. You know, So it's just important to make sure that families know their options and have really good um, conversations um, with whatever school um, they decide to, to send their kids to, to preschool um, and make sure that those needs are, are being met at that level that they need. Um, 
So when a child starts kindergarten and then from that year forward in the public school system, um, they will continue to have an annual IEP meeting um, to update their education plan with their educational team that includes the parents and the student. Um, so as the student gets older, they have more input and, of course, more, more to say about what their needs are in school. Um, so if a student does continue to qualify for vision services, then they will continue to have an itinerant um, teacher of the visually impaired or TVI um, assigned to them. An itinerant means that um, it's a teacher who travels from school to school, depending on where the students with a visual impairment are. Um, it's a low incidence disability. Um, and so there are often only one or two students per school that have a visual impairment and that qualify for vision services. So a TVI that works in a school district um, drives from school to school different um, times of day um, to, to provide those supports to those students. Um, and the amount of time and services that they receive for vision depends on their situation. So just think about this. So a student who is a Braille reader and might not have um, little to no vision um, will need more time with a TBI for Braille instruction when they're young um, and for preparation for Braille or tactile materials um, before each school day, right? And then throughout the school day. But a student with low vision who, who has some functional vision um, might need less time with a TVI. And this might even look like something like a, like a consult time each month or each week where the TVI checks in with the student and their, and their classroom teachers to make sure that his or her needs are being met. Um, so they're looking at things like, is, is this child sitting up front in the classroom or maybe on the left side of the teacher so that they can use their best vision? Um, are materials being presented to him or her in a, in a larger font as needed? Or does he or she have, um, have and use any low vision devices, which can, um, they can be like electronic magnifiers or even iPads are often used in classrooms um, because a child can use the iPad camera app and zoom in and make things bigger. Um, so things like that. So sometimes um, the vision services provided to a child, it really depends on that child's needs. Um, that was a lot of information. I, I hope I, I covered the basics there. <laughs> well, great. And then just um, what can we, I, I, I see you, you work for the Anchor Center for mm -hmm. Blind Children. So basically what can they offer? And then what can we and teachers and child care providers do um, around identifying yeah, vision so, needs. Um, I was just going to tell you a little bit about Anchor Center for Blind Children. We're in Denver um, and we are a nonprofit organization and we serve children who are blind or visually impaired ages birth through five. So we have a very unique transdisciplinary team where we have teachers of the visually impaired like me um, that also work along with early childhood special education teachers, and then every kind of therapist you could even imagine. Uh, we have horticulture therapists, we have music therapists, and then we have the speech and language pathologists, occupational therapists, phys physical therapists, um, all working together as a team and looking, we use a whole child approach. Um, and we have different programs. We have a home visit early intervention program that were contracted through the state of Colorado to provide those home visits. We have an infant and toddler program where caregivers attend along with their child. Um, and then we also have a preschool program where kids can attend either one or two years here before going to a school district. Um, and then we also um, 
are working on, we have our research department where we're, um, the, the field of visual impairment has very little research. So we're trying to contribute to the field in, in ways that we can. Uh, we are focusing very much on the cortical visual impairments and trying to do research and make an impact on uh, getting word out there about how important it is to identify um, cortical visual impairments. And then we also have an eye clinic here in our building um, where we partner with pediatric ophthalmologists at Children's Hospital and children's eye physicians. Um, so that's just to tell you a little bit about who we are. And we, um, you know, obviously we're only in Denver and we um, can serve families who live here in the Denver metro area. Um, and so we just like to get word out there that we exist. So if any of you, you know, come across um, families that you think could um, be helped by any of our services. Um, we can also do some assessments, even for families that live farther away, and just help give more information about what this child's vision, their functional vision is, and what um, what um, accommodations they might need in a classroom or in a childcare setting. So just keep us in mind. You can find us online, um, anchorcenter.org. Um, and so I just wanted to end today by talking about like, what can you as parents, as childcare providers do? Um, you can watch for early visual milestones um, in, in the young people in your life. So ask these questions and test some of these things out. Um, does the child make eye contact with you? Does the child look intently at an interesting object held in front of them? Uh, will the child look at objects held above their head, below the chin, to their left, to their right? Um, does the child shift gaze between two interesting objects held in front of them? And then those things that we already talked about, are they rubbing their eyes? Are they squinting? Are they complaining of headaches? Are they uninterested in looking at books? These could all be signs of a visual impairment. And um, so we do know that early detection and diagnosing of visual impairments is key. The earlier we know that a child has a vision issue, the earlier it can be either corrected or the earlier they can receive the important interventions that they need to help them keep up with developmental milestones. Um, and just also to keep in mind why this is so important is that every child that is born in the U.S. gets a hearing screening at birth, but there's no equivalent of that for vision. So often kids are not diagnosed with vision problems until sometimes first or second grade, uh, which is when it becomes evident that they're struggling to read. Um, so anyone working with young children in any way can help watch for these red flags and suggest to caregivers to get their child's vision checked. Well, I thank you so very much. This was a wealth of information, understanding as parents if things we should be watching for, and then to address the needs that if your child's been diagnosed with a vision a disability, how they can access services. So I really, really thank you for your information. And what I will do on the bottom of this podcast is post contact information for anchor centers so that if families are wanting more information, can they reach out to you? Is that a possibility? Yes, of course. All right. Well, I will do that. And thank you again for taking the time to sharing, sharing with us this very, very important information. My pleasure. Thank you so much.